Greetings, friend. Welcome to Engaging with Envy, an entertainment interview podcast that promotes mental health advocacy. I'm your host, Miss Envy, and today our guest is someone very dear to my heart, the one and only Charlie Paulson. Thank you so much for joining me today. How you doing, Barb? I'm doing good. Hope you're doing all right. Thank you again for finding the time to chat with me. Of course. So first off, how have you been doing during this pandemic? Um, I, I'm in this been ups and downs i think like everybody you know what i mean for most of if not all of quarantine i was in a relationship uh, and we lived together and uh i think that helped a lot you know what i mean but just having somebody to to share the experience with so quarantine and pandemic i guess are two different things so since things have opened up again i find myself single you know i've had ups and downs but not necessarily related to to the uh to covid and how has the pandemic affected your creative process with writing new music has it been a lot better for it has it made it more difficult uh i would say the same because my process is was not affected by it you know what i mean when it's time to create something um i i am i don't sit around the house and write songs or come up with guitar parts i i sit around the house and play or practice, but it's more on the sort of technical end of things than the creative. So we made the record, as you know, in quarantine. So I did what I always do. I, you know, I brewed a pot of coffee. I went out to the garage and fired up the amp and just sat there with the songs and, 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 and wrote and, and played until I came up with, you know, guitar parts. Uh, then we were all recording remotely too. So I went out to, uh, John Graver's studio in the Valley and, uh, tracked all my parts. And it was, you know, it was honestly, in some ways it was the best recording experience I've ever had. Let's backtrack a little. When did you first discover your love for the guitar? When I was seven years old, um, my father would leave me for, extended periods of time with friends of his because he was doing things <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was on the road. He didn't need anybody to know where he was. And he certainly didn't want to have his kid with him. In one of these stretches, I was left with this woman who uh, loved kiss and she had all the records up to that point. I think that was, 77 so it would have been love gun or alive too and i had read comic books had been reading comic books at that point and i'd also grown up in a house where you know it's a very rock and roll house so i mean we'd always be hearing jimmy hendrix or the stones or whatever so i already had a love of music and these two dude these dudes were like the perfect marriage of music and comic books and I instantly fell in love with Kiss, and I wanted to be Ace Freely. So I guess the answer to that question would be seven years old and Ace Freely. <laughs> Did you ever get to meet him? Many times. <laughs> it's sometimes, I mean, Ace is a fucking, you know, you want to talk about mental health. That dude is a loose cannon. Sometimes uh, it was just a childhood dream come true. And he was fucking so cool. And he was, you know, 
he let me play his guitars and, you know, we just bonded as guitar players. And other times he was just, sorry, that's my kids. Hang on one second. <laughs> hey! Okay. So like I was saying, sometimes he was really just fucking beautiful and cool and, and, and present. And other times he, I remember I ran into him at a party once and and reintroduce myself because I didn't assume he would remember me. And it was kind of, uh, it was odd that he was even there. It was kind of like a fancy Hollywood celebrity party. And he definitely is a celebrity, but not, it was not his speed. And I could tell he was bored. And we sat down at a table and all he did was bitch about Paul and Gene for like 45 minutes. Like he gave me a bunch of inside kiss dirt that I did not ask for. And uh, it was funny and I'm, I couldn't believe I was getting this experience, but it was also hyper fucking negative, which is why I have, uh, you know, you know, the inner workings of my band as well as anybody who's not in the band. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dirt there, but I, I, based on the conversation with Ace and also reading a lot of, uh, autobiographies, uh, from my heroes, it's a fucking drag when you read about your heroes trashing their bandmates, trashing their co-stars, trashing their teammates. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I, I don't need to hear that shit. So it, it just, you know, I've, I've done interviews where people have tried to get me to shit on John or Darren or whatever, and I just won't do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that, that's one of the hardest things also as a fan or a friend is when there are breakups in bands, you know, like you, you know, Goldfinger as a whole has had many ups and downs and, you know, it puts somebody like me in a tough space of like, oh, Charlie's not in the band anymore. Um, no pun intended on the Dangerous Darren song there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was like, OK, well, this is a little weird for me, but it, but I still love the other guys. And then it got to a point where, like, John was the only one left. And I was like, well, I still support them. And like, I know everyone has their own things going on. But like, you know, as a whole, each of you have done so much for me in my life that like it, it just it, it makes things weird. So like if when like people air the dirt it's like well that that just for one it makes you sound petty and for two it's like everyone has ups and downs like if you need to let it out somewhere try therapy or maybe even talk to the bandmates that you're having issues with for sure you know now granted with somebody like you that could possibly turn into throwing fists but you know (laughs) not anymore not anymore those days are long behind me Speaking of Goldfinger, uh, most of us know you from uh, Goldfinger as the guitarist that likes to spin in circles crazily, which sometimes still makes me dizzy. Um, Probably you at this point, too. Um, Not really, believe it or not. (laughs) You have dabbled in quite a few other music projects, so I'm curious what your band timeline actually is. Oh, Jesus, I don't know, dude. You know, (laughs) uh, it's funny, I was... uh, I was hanging out with a couple of friends just the other night and they were telling me they were rehashing some story that the three of us had been involved with. Uh, and it was, I, I will spare you the details cause it was lascivious. Um, but I didn't remember any of this and it sounds like we had a real good time. I was like, are you sure it was me? 
<laughs> um, so it's going back as far as, I mean, I think I started playing in bands when I was 13 or 14. So there's no, no fucking way. I mean, uh, and this, this engineer that I used to do sessions for in the late nineties, early two thousands, when we had time off and I would be in town, she would call me and I would go play with uh hip hop artists. Like I played on a Will Smith single. I played in a, a Aaliyah song and she was sending me these pictures the other day and there's a picture of me with the gap band and then there was another picture of me with rick james rhythm section i do not remember playing with them but there's the fucking photo of us in the studio you know um uh, you know you know about black president and and we could talk about that but i mean i've 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 been called to go audition for the chili peppers uh, for Nine Inch Nails, uh, Limp Biscuit, which I did not want to do. And that was <laughs> fucking awful. I, I got to, you know, they're, they're really nice guys. We've known them since, I mean, they used to open for us at the Milk Bar in, in Tampa all the time. So I've known those guys for, since the beginning. Uh, but it's just not my style musically. You don't look like you would fit with that very well. Yeah, I and the guy that was begging me, what, what had happened was I had quit Goldfinger. The guy, they had hired this guy named Barry Squire, who who it was essentially his job to put bands together. Like when you see solo artists on Saturday Night Live or the Grammys or whatever, that singer did not put an ad out on Craigslist and put that band together. They hire somebody to build a band for them. Biscuit had hired this guy who had worked with, you know, Britney Spears and Timberlake, whoever. And uh, and I had known him because somebody put me in touch with him when I quit Goldfinger to find another gig. And he kept calling me about the Biscuit gig. And I'm like, bro, I don't want to do it. I, I'm, I mean, I love those guys, but it's just not my fucking, it's not my wheelhouse. I don't do what they do. And and I kept turning him down. And finally he showed up. I was working at a, a, a shop on Melrose and he showed up to my job and basically begged me. He said, they're asking for you by name. They keep asking for you by name. Look, I know it's not your thing, but if you do this favor for me, I promise I will get you a gig. So I went up and I jammed with them and uh, we we tried to play Limp Biscuit style music for maybe 20 minutes and that didn't work out. But it turns out that rhythm section grew up on Minor Threat and Dag Nasty and a lot of that shit. So we wound up just jamming a bunch of old punk rock, believe it or not. And it was fun and it was fine. And they're like, thanks for coming down and all this shit. And and, you know, but obviously it was not the right fit. And I never fucking heard from that dude again. <laughs> so. Well, one thing is for sure, though, that if you had become part of that band, we do know that sometimes you do do it for the nookie. So <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so now along with that, like you also have some other fun projects you've done with some very. guess I could say unique individuals like Willem, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Now, are you still doing any projects like that? Or is there any projects that you're currently working on? Like just, you know, to help pass time, to have some fun. Those come and go. So those started in 99. What it was, was there was this club in, in Hollywood called Club Makeup at the El Rey Theater. And it was a once a month thing. And what it was, was like, 
I mean, it's so fucking hard to explain to people that weren't there, but it was like, you've heard of Studio 54, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was this big theater and it was like this drag queen, glam rock, punk rock dance party. And people would show up in crazy costumes. And I mean, it was very much like New York in the late seventies. And it was ostensibly a giant dance party. And people were like, just doing drugs openly on the floor, fucking in the bathroom. Like, I mean, it was, it was fucking amazing. And then at midnight, we'd had these famous drag queens and just all kinds of crazy performers that had flown in from all over the world. And we would back them up on these cover songs. And that was sort of the start of it. Uh, And that lasted for three years. And, you know, it ran out of steam as a lot of clubs do. So some years later, do you know the band Passion Pit? Yes. Okay. So they were coming through town and the promoter who had booked them called us and said, this band's coming through town. They're playing a couple shows in LA and a couple shows in San Diego. They're all sold out. So they don't need any ticket support. Like they don't need the support band to, to sell any tickets. They want just a fun cover band. Could you guys possibly put the club makeup band back together to do these shows. And our instant reaction was hell no, that it's not possible. Um, everybody's kind of gone their separate ways. Not only that, trying to corral uh, dry Queens into a situation, especially where they're the opener and we don't have, you know, complete control over the situation is like hurting feral kittens on cocaine. Like it, it, that we need, they need handlers, you know what I mean? Not bandmates. And then, so we hung up and maybe half an hour later, I picked up the phone to call him back. And as I was picking up the phone, he was already calling me back. He's like, dude, I think we should try it. And that was exactly my thought. So we just threw the line out to everybody and everybody that we reached out to was down. So we wound up uh, taking these shows the first show was at the Fonda, actually, where my friend's going to see Cruella tonight. And we get there and Passion Pit takes an extra long sound check and they leave all their gear set up. So we get up there and we try to cram our shit in, in what little space they left us. And uh, and and it was a drag, no pun intended, because we put on a fucking like a show. It's like almost like a Las Vegas review with costumes and props and all this shit. And we finished our sound check and we go downstairs into the common dressing room area. And one of the passion pit guys comes up to me, he goes, is your name Charlie? And I said, yeah, he goes, Charlie Paulson. I said, yes. He goes, dude. And he pulls his iPod out of his pocket and he'd been listening to hangups because they were all kids from Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hang on one second. And he goes into his dressing room and brings out a couple of the other guys and they're like, holy shit. You know, they were really fucking stoked. And, uh, and they're like, dude, it's so fucking cool. You're this, the thing you're doing is, fucking awesome we heard you guys sound check and it's so cool to have you on these shows and whatever and i said can you do me a favor and they said anything and i said can you move your shit <laughs> so they immediately sent their crew up stage and struck their entire stage they didn't even just move it back they gave us the drum riser everything and after that we got along really well and those shows were really fun and what it showed us was that people loved it and there was definitely an audience for what we were doing and we couldn't use the club makeup 
name anymore because it wasn't part of that. So we changed the name to Transcontinental and we just started booking shows under Transcontinental. And, you know, it was Willem and Detox and Rayla Trey and Mama and uh, just, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, performers that have gone on to be huge, be it through RuPaul's Drag Race or the uh, Boulet Brothers, their show, uh, 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 Dragula or whatever. You know, and and it and it it built into something. Um, by the last show we ever played as Transcontinental, we headlined the West Hall West Hollywood Halloween Carnival, which is like they basically shut down six city blocks, and there's two hundred thousand people, and we were headlining. So you know, and I mean, there was talks of we were in talks with record companies to do an album of originals. We were in talks with Bravo to do uh, a show about the band. And, uh, but basically egos and drugs got in the way. And that was, so that was the last show we ever did. But I mean, I'm still friends with most of them and I love them. I'm still sad. I never got to actually see one of those shows. Like I would, yeah. I would see I mean, all your posts and stuff. And I'm like, plenty oh, man, of it on YouTube. So fun. Yeah. There's a lot of it on YouTube. Well, if you ever do end up getting back together for some reason, I will make sure well, I fly we, out for it. <laughs> we've done a version of it. Um, there's like this sort of like underground punk rock art gallery out here called Lethal Amounts. And the guy that owns it, uh, he and I started a night before quarantine where we would do a residency at a club called El Cid. And it was, it was not transcontinental anymore. We changed the name to Queen Bitch. And, uh, it was, it was a version of that, but we had sort of broadened it to include any LGBTQ uh, performers, you know what I mean? Uh, trans women, um, you know, queer identifying, whatever. And which really as the, as the musical director for me, it was a relief because I had a much a bigger pool of talent to draw from. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of talent, are there any artists that you would love to collaborate with for a fun new project or even just do like a one-time thing or. Uh, Gaga. That would be amazing. I, I should absolutely be her guitar player. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were fucking made for each other musically. Um, I um, think also as people, you guys yeah. are super cute together. I'm just saying. Yeah. Supposedly, one of the first records she ever bought with her own money was our first album. <laughs> I've been told that on numerous occasions. Um, if I find any and, connections you know, at some point, I will make sure to uh, see if I can't cross some strings there dude there's so many people uh that have 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 i know she's heard my name more than once but uh i mean the guys in fishbone always you know what i mean i would love to play with them um uh, fuck there's just so many you know what i mean mm-hmm. jane wheedlin from the go-go's if she ever wanted to write together or put a band together i would love to play with her she's insanely talented um Country is not my thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love. Unless you're acting. I Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can get into that. But um, yeah, I mean, I love. Uh, 60s and 70s country. Like I love the outlaws. I love, you know, Waylon and Willie. Uh, but what is passing for country these days? I don't even recognize. Mm hmm. 
you are you are more of a fan of actual like dance and pop music. Are you also into K-pop is the question? No. No. Okay. No. And I'm not necessarily a fan of the current pop genre, but specific artists and specific songs will grab me. Like I said, I love Gaga. Uh, uh, I like that first Shawn Mendes record. I think it's just expertly crafted. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I mean, my favorite music of all time is Motown. So I'm a sucker for a, just a well-constructed pop hook. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of the uh, Bruno Mars, uh, Anderson Pac combination that they've got going on right now? The only thing I've heard is the song they played on the Grammys, and I thought it was dope. Mm-hmm. I mean, Anderson's a fucking ridiculous drummer. Yeah, that was probably one of the best performances on the Grammys this year. Yeah. Who are some of your favorite artists to go on tour with? Now, we know you are almost always on tour with Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake. But aside from them, who are, who are some of the artists that you just always like if you found out that you were heading out on tour and they were on that roster that you were just like, all right, cool. This is going to be a fun, fun few weeks here. A Fishbone, uh, Rise Against, Anti-Flag. Um, as you know, we we aren't really a ska band. You know what I mean, I you mean, had we've one become, album that could kind of be more ska with hangups. But other than that, like you have a lot sure. more and to you. We've, be, we've become more of that over time. But I got to tell you, dude, I'm if I never play another show with fucking Real Big Fish again, it'll be too soon. Like <laughs> and no offense to those guys. And I'm sure they feel the same way about us. It's just like fucking Groundhog Day since 1997. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh but I, I have pushed forever for us to, if we're going to do a package tour, to not make it so fucking ska-centric. Because then it, you know, John feels like he has to push our ska end of things. And a lot of our best songs, a lot of our most beloved songs get left off the set list because they're not fucking ska. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so. You know, like you, you have those good ska hits, but it's the like feel good energy of like the punk hits that really like get you going more like ska is fun. But as a former ska fan and still kind of am it, you kind of are like, yeah, this is fun a little bit, but then that kind of wants something else now. Third wave ska. The type of ska that we play and the type of ska uh, that is played by the bands that we would tour with is pretty fucking one note. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You have obviously there's differences. There's Streetlight Manifesto or um, uh, Suicide Machines, those kind of bands. You know that they're, they're not. You know they don't play fucking circus music. So yeah, it's 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 really one dimensional and it just gets tired after a while. Especially if you're going to see four fucking bands and it's like us and Real Big Fish and uh, uh, Suburban. Suburban Legends. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's just like, fuck, man. Or, or in Lesson Jake, it's like, yeah, I mean, there are slight differences if you're really fucking paying attention. But it's like, you know, the difference between Poison and Cinderella, unless you are actually a huge fan of that of those bands, you don't, you don't know the difference in it. You're just, you're pounding people with the same, sending the same emotional reaction out of people all fucking night long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Now, you've spent a lot of time on the road, probably more time than you have at home, actually. Um, How do you pass time and what are some of the things that you like to do when you're visiting some of your favorite cities and even new cities? I mean, mean, that depends entirely on the city. You know what I mean? Uh, If we're in like someplace like Tokyo or New Orleans or uh, uh, Paris or someplace like that, I, I am... As soon as we land, I'm out the door and just walking and taking in as much of the city as I can. Um, But then, I mean, you know, for every one of those cities, you've got 10 Ames, Iowa's. And in those situations, I read a lot or I practice or I work out. You know, I mean, everybody in, in the band, especially in the current lineup, is really you know, we're getting older and we like to take care of ourselves. John's constantly boxing. I'm, you know, either doing some sort of Muay Thai thing or, you know, just, we'll just find a gym to go to and work out. You know what I mean? And also since this podcast has a, a bent towards mental health, I would say that physical exercise is, is like natural Prozac. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. on days when I get up and I run and I start my day running with my dogs and working out, I have a very different day than on days that I don't, mm-hmm. you know? And when you're on tour, we don't tour like we used to, but still you're in close confines with, you know, four five, six, seven other people that you see and you, you can get sick of each other's fucking faces. It's really good to stay in as positive a, a headspace as you can. Mm-hmm. And also from an outside view, one of my favorite things is when you do go out running with the doggos, because I'll go through and I'll see the Instagram stories and I'm like, you know, I want to be doing that. Like, granted, mm-hmm. it, me running would probably lead to a heart attack at this stage. But, you know, some nice, you know, speed walking, maybe I could I could get down with that. But yeah. like just seeing you out there with the dogs and stuff, it's awesome. Like, it's inspiring and it just puts a smile on people's face, you know. And so by you making yourself feel better, you're actually making other people feel better as well. I appreciate that. I mean, I do get a, a lot of fucking people trolling me like, okay, dude, we get it. You're in shape. <laughs> like, you know, cause John, like, for example, he posts his boxing workouts every fucking day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so I get it, but you know, it's a part of our, it's a part of our lifestyle. It's part of our day. And it's, and if it is inspirational to people, like I know, you know, I have heard more than a few people echo your sentiments, which is, you know, it, you know, it, that dude's 51 and you know, the shit that I've done to my body over the years and I can still get out there and do it. It kind of removes people's excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, now you actually already touched on what my next question was going to be, but there might be a little bit more you might want to add, which is how do you manage your mental health on those long tours? I mean, there was that one year that you had like what almost 400 shows in one year. Cause you were like mm-hmm. double dipping and stuff. Like, Oh, How that first year was insane. And there, that, we did know? not handle our mental health. I mean, as you, you know, John and I are members of a secret society. Mm-hmm. So we would try to go to meetings as often as possible. And that helps. But there was nothing approaching mental health on, in the early days. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't aware of my mental health issues until years later. My specific diagnosis. Um, so I wasn't on the lookout for it in that way. You know, it wasn't until I got diagnosed clinically depressed that I was even, you know, I thought I was just having a bad day or a fucking miserable fuck. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. And that's kind of surprising because like you never really came off as somebody that would be struggling with depression. You know, it just goes to show that the people that struggle the worst, they've got that that facade. And well, yeah, but also sadness can often mask itself in anger. And I'm sure you've seen me be angry. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier fistfights, you know, Darren and I definitely have come to blows. Um, I have thrown fucking guitars at people. You know, I've stormed off the stage. You know what I mean? And that was, you know, that I think that was due to undiagnosed and untreated depression. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I have to also say thank you because you were actually one of the first people in my life to actually care about my mental health. Um, I mean, I can't remember. This had to have been like late 90s, early 2000s. But I was going through something in my life and like my instinct was to call you. And here I am like bawling on the phone to you and you're like, you know, trying to console me. And you're like, by the way, you should get checked out for your codependency problem. And I'm like, codependency, what's that? And then I look it up and I'm like, well, that hits the nail on the head. Okay, that's one thing I can now uh, now kind of take care of a little bit better. And I have gotten a lot better at that. But, you know, I think I'm always going to have that worry about others first mentality. But I've definitely reeled it in a lot better. Um, and taking medication for my anxiety definitely helps with that too. Yeah. B we've been friends a long time. dude. Yeah. Like I, I care about you and I care about you, you know? And so what medication are you on? Um, I take Lexapro for my anxiety mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's been a life changer. Um, for a long time, Good. I was very anti-medication. I was just like, no, no, like, you know, I can just handle things on my own. No big deal. And then it just got to a breaking point to where like I was it was more than just feeling like a skittish cat all the time and like feeling like not in control. And I was just like, I think it's time I talked to my therapist and I was like, I'm uncomfortable with the idea, but I want to try to feel better. So let's try it. Let, let's see how it goes. Um, she recommended I try Lexapro. The first week was horrible. Um, my brain was so swirly and foggy. I didn't know what was what. Like, I remember calling my therapist crying because I was afraid that I was going to say or do something that I didn't know I had control over because my brain was trying to even out. And I almost stopped taking it because I didn't like that. But I'm like, no, I just got to write it out and maybe things will be better. And then, you know, a week or two later, all of a sudden I'm living my best life. Like, I'm not jumping every five seconds. Like, my social anxiety not nearly as bad. Like it could be something as simple as you saying, Hey, I need to, I I need to call you right now. And I would instantly go into a panic and hyperventilate thinking, Oh my God, what did I do wrong? What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. And it's really just going, Hey, so I'm going to be in town in in a couple of weeks. Do you want to hang out? You know? And it's like little things like that where like, or even just, you know, having to talk to somebody that's, you know, a manager or someone else and just instantly, hyperventilating and be like shaking like you can hear my voice shaking with how nervous i am just because that's just my natural instinct it's a lot but my anxiety has gotten a lot better and you know i'm not as worried about things you know i still have my my little moments where i'll get a little nervous and stuff like that or like for example i have a convention i'm going to next week and i'm a little bit nervous about that because i haven't been in like a big crowd in a while and all this but it's like what is it uh, it's the PAX East convention, uh, convention. It's a gaming convention, basically. Um, going to go up there with a few friends and, uh, 
I know that I'll have them there if I need, you know, a handheld, for example. So it'll be fun. It's just that whole like leading up to that, just kind of being like, OK, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've really gone out and done too much stuff. And, you know, but things are getting better. And, you know, there there's also some other fun trips coming up soon. Um, Like I'm going to be in San Francisco for a little bit in June, I think it is. Yeah. Because Josh has a, a work thing out there and like, you know, that that is one thing that I have enjoyed is that by controlling my anxiety, I've been able to travel more. And I think next time I'm in L.A., I literally need to like find like a day or two and just block it off and be like, these are Charlie's days. He's in charge and I'm going where he says to go. And that was not right. meant to be a Charles in charge joke, but it just kind of fell into our laps. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note. Uh, sometimes you do come off as a bit of an intimidating or overly confident guy. Uh, <laughs> do you ever get stressed or anxious when releasing new music or on stage? Like, no, no, you're just in your comfort zone. You're good to go. A hundred fucking percent. I am more comfortable on stage. Uh, I'm more comfortable with who I am on stage than at any other time in my life. Hmm. So I can get excited I can get nervous if I'm slightly out of my element. For example, if I have to play a fucking acoustic guitar, which are firewood and they should all be destroyed. <laughs> but if I have to play an acoustic guitar in an intimate setting or if I am. Yeah, that's basically it. Or if I'm playing with just a group of peers, like if we're having like a jam or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I feel like I don't want to waste everybody's time and I want to make sure that I have, am earning my spot in that situation. Do you know what I mean? But as far as getting on stage and playing big fucking shows, you know, I mean, we've played stadiums, we've played massive, massive fucking festivals in South America, you know, it, it, it's just, it's home. I feel comfortable. You know what I mean? Get me on that fucking stage. And that, and that sounds like some total fucking, bullshit gunslinger braggadocious bullshit but it is it is the truth it's where i feel most comfortable mm -hmm. i'm like i know how to do this i know i put in my work on this i i am good at this you know what i mean yeah plus so, you've got that choreo down pat of like depending on the songs you know <laughs> well i mean that's part of it i mean part of, half of my job is being a musician the other half is being a performer do you know what i mean yeah. when i I'll go see a show and like I, I literally could be eavesdropping on a rehearsal with the amount of of energy the band has. And people walk out and say, fuck, that was amazing. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I mean, you could have just saved ticket, parking, drinks, merch, all that money and smoked a joint and listened to the record and had the exact same experience you just had. You know what I mean? That's Which I think I guys. think that <laughs> attitude comes from two things. It comes from seeing, you know, uh, uh, bad brains and again, fishbone and, you know, early chili peppers and the circle jerks and that wild unhinged energy. And it also comes from kiss. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, when they, they started, you know, everybody was coming on stage with mustaches and fucking brown corduroys and smoking a joint on stage and just, you know, 
playing their fucking songs. And Kiss was like, this is fucking boring and it's bullshit. If people are going to fucking spend money and drive all the way down here and find parking and stand in line and all this shit, we're going to give them something to fucking look at. And I think as much as John hates Kiss, that has also been our fucking ethos for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your energy on stage, it, you know, it definitely brings a lot more to the shows. You know, you can have somebody playing almost the same exact style of music and just kind of being there. And it's like, all right, you know, cool. These songs are great. Ha- happy to see them live. And then you guys come out on stage and, you know, you put every ounce of energy you have into that stage set, you know, and it changes it. It makes it more of a show and makes people get more excited, you know, like, Usually I'm in the in the back somewhere, you know, just like kind of standing and watching from afar when I'm at shows. But with you guys, it's like if I'm not somewhere side stage with you guys, I'm trying to get as close to the front to like just have fun as I can. Like, you know, before we really got like super close, you know, I used to be in those pits. Hell, one time I think I almost chipped a tooth because John went to put the mic in my face for miles away. And I felt that clunk and I'm like, okay, hopefully that stays and doesn't fall out. You know, but it's um, it's that energy that just draws people into you guys. Well, I appreciate that. That means a lot. And that means that what we're doing, we're succeeding at what we're doing, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, you know, Black President was a very different kind of music. But we also, you know, are really impressed upon them. You know, the, the, the show is the thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? We were fucking blisteringly tight that band rehearsed like crazy and it was full of people that could really play um so there was a you know obviously a huge focus on on sounding right but you know then you it's like do you know the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours thing once you get on stage you forget everything forget all the practice and just go and go as hard as you fucking can the practice will take care of itself you know what i mean we know we know what we're doing. Get out there and fucking go as hard as you can. And even though you said you played like shit that day, seeing Black President playing at uh, Asbury Lanes before the Bouncing Souls that time was awesome. Oh, God. <laughs> you may think we you sucked that day, but I that thought it was That might be a good the show. worst Black President show <laughs> on record. All right, I just have a couple more here. It is known that you are sober now. Uh, what led you to step up and make that change? And is it ever a struggle, especially when you're out on the road? Oh, goddamn. I've been sober a long time. Tomorrow, in fact, it will be 29 years. Wow. Making that decision is different for everybody. You know what I mean? You can be in a meeting and you can hear, you know, some, you know, Beverly Hills debutante who, you know, crashed her third fucking Audi that she didn't pay for. You know what I mean? And, you know, her parents sent her to another fancy fucking rehab. But that doesn't mean that her internal pain is any less valid than a than a junkie who came off the fucking streets or an ex-con that's been in prison for most of his life. For me, it was I was like I was like a homeless squatter and I was, you know, when I was lucky, I would crash on people's couches, but for the most part, you know, I was living on the streets and I'm 6 foot and I think when I got sober I weighed 130 pounds maybe. Wow. I was green. And my last, my last drunk actually wasn't even bad. I was at a friend's house and we were playing quarters and that was it. And I just, I passed out there and I woke up the next day and I was just like, I can't fucking, 
live like this anymore. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, you know, I mean, I was already homeless and living on the streets and barely eating and barely surviving, but that wasn't enough. It was just the, the voice in my head that said, dude, if nothing changes, nothing changes. You know what I mean? And I think that can apply to all manner of mental health uh, situations. If, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's fucking scary, but pick up the fucking phone, do something about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So that's that, you know what I mean? And, and, and I did, I, I, I had been in and out of, I would go to meetings up to that point because the coffee was free and I could, I was a, it was a place I could sit for an hour and a half and nobody would chase me out. You know what I mean? I could, you know, eat some donuts and have some coffee and I was welcome there. And, but I had no interest in being sober. And then the day that I, uh, the day I woke up on my friend's couch and decided I can't fucking do this anymore. I knew this cool dude named tone. I think he was a rapper and I called him and I'm like, will you pick me up and take me to a meeting? And like within 20 minutes, he was there, you know, and there wasn't a meeting yet. So we, he just took me, we went and got food and we just hung out and, and then we went to meetings. And then he handed me off to some other friends of his. And from that moment on, I was never alone. Uh, somebody took care of me. Somebody made sure I had food in my stomach and a place to stay. And, and, and always knew what my next meeting was going to be. You know, and I've tried to pass that to pay that forward in Alcoholics Anonymous as well. You know, what I mean, sobriety is one drunk helping another. And that's that's just the fucking bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know. And I have to applaud you for your strength, like because, you know, especially being in a band, you're around everything all the time. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine the, the strength that you need sometimes, you know, I mean, it might be a little bit easier now since it's it's been a while. But like still, like I, to me, like I, I don't have an addictive personality or anything, but even still, like just if I know, hey, taking this would make me feel good in this way and knowing that you're no longer doing that, like but seeing it there, I feel like that would still like kind of trigger every now and then. Well, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. And you can edit this part out if you don't want. This is just me as your friend talking to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have talked at length about your food issues. You don't mm-hmm. view that as the same thing. I mean, it's still an addiction. You're still um, fixing. Yeah, I, it, it's not quite the same. Like, I, I don't eat when I'm depressed or anything like that. Like, I don't have like, you know, binge and purge type moments. Like, it, I, I think it's more of just my depression and and like I've explained this to my husband as well that when my depression takes hold of me when I when I'm in that pit um I'm not gonna fuck up shit sorry (laughs) it it just it just kind of happened there (laughs) um but like when I'm when I'm really depressed like it gets to a point where I'm just so low that like no matter what I tell myself like oh if I get up and go take a shower and then you know do some cleaning or do this do that like it's like yeah I know that's gonna make me feel better but I just don't have the energy to do it. And like, you know, that I, that's the root of it is that my mental health likes to block me from making changes, but I have been making changes, you know, and that's the important thing, you know, like I've, you know, talked to my doctor and been like, look, you know, I know that I am overweight. 
I'm fine with being the person I am because for one, it kind of protects me because, you know, I feel like if I wasn't the way I am, if I was like some small attractive thing, God knows what my band history would really be right now. But (laughs) now here's a question I know that you will be happy to talk about. You've always had a love for dogs. How much have they helped your mental health and just your general being by having them around all the time? Fucking immensely. Like just even in the basic care of them. Like if I'm laying in bed, if I am just laying there and I don't want to fucking get up and I, you know, am just, cycling through the millions of fucking suicidal ideations or, you know, just all the shit depression does to you. Matoska, my wolf mix, he sleeps in my room. So, you know, at some point he's up and he's spinning around and he's scratching on the door because he's got to, you know, do his business. So I got to let him out. And then, you know, I got to feed him breakfast and that just the, just the simple act of having to care for him just to get out of bed makes a fucking difference. But beyond that, man, they're just, you know, they're the, all they want to do is love you and be loved. And that's, it's the most pure. I mean, I'm an atheist, but if I believed in God, I would absolutely believe that angel, that animals were angels, Mm -hmm. you know, put on this earth to look after us and care for us where I go running every day, especially lately, it, it gets so fucking hot. And I see people like, dragging their dogs up the hill on a leash. And I'm, you know, I, I, it's, it's amazing. Nobody's ever taken a swing at me because I will get in people's faces. Like, yo man, your dog doesn't want to do this. Or they'll bring up like tiny little, like fucking, um, like bulldogs or something. Bulldogs are not running dogs. Mm-mm. And it's cool that you want to like get them some exercise, take them to the dog park and let them fucking rock. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll figure it out. Um, you know, there used to be this guy on Sunset, like on like between like the Viper Room and the Rainbow and the Roxy and all that. And he used to sell puppies out of his trench coat. And one day I just fucking had it. It was out in front of the Viper Room and I fucking got in his face and I'm like, my friends are going to take your jacket with all the puppies in it. He, he was a big dude and he had like a big old trench coat and he had literally puppies, newborn puppies that should not have been taken away from their mother in his in his pockets. Mm-hmm. And I said, my friend's going to take your jacket. And I'm going to tell you this. If I ever see you up here again with fucking animals, you're done. And I've never seen that dude since. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Well, like I said, you can be very intimidating. So. <laughs> dude was twice my size, but I, I had a few friends with me. So, mm-hmm. you know. And finally, what are you looking forward to in the near future? Do you have any new music that you're currently working on? Are, are there new band projects that you're working on? Or is just kind of winging it? Um, well, you know, we put our record out a year and a half ago when quarantine was still in full effect and we couldn't tour it. We couldn't really promote it. So our label is re-releasing it as an expanded version. Like I was, I've been in the studio re-recording guitars on some shit, uh, and on, you know, on songs that weren't on the first version of the record and John's written a couple new ones. And, um, so we're going to put the record out and we got some shows booked, but you know, it's, it's slow coming. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Uh, and are those West coast dates or. I, I don't know. I know we've got a bunch of dates with sublime. I know we've got a couple of European festivals and that's all I know so far. Mm-hmm. I'm still bummed that COVID happened because 
that summer you were supposed to do beer fest in New Jersey on my freaking birthday. And I was so uh, stoked for that. And then it had to get canceled. I was just like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, we were looking forward to it. We had a bunch of shit booked that year that we had to cancel. So but hopefully we will be seeing you sometime soon this year. Yeah. And like I said, even if it's West Coast stuff, I mean, we, we've got our, our sky miles for Delta, you know, if, take a little flight out there for a weekend. Cool. Yeah, like, oh, sorry, babe. Uh, Goldfinger's playing some shows. I got to go work the merch table. I'll, I'll see you later. <laughs> Excellent. But I do miss L.A. Yeah. I've been there twice now, right? Yeah. Twice. I don't know, but I mean, I love it. It's my favorite city in the world. I'm it's it's in my DNA. I'll never live anywhere else. But I'm also ready to get on the fucking road because I've been home for almost three years, mm-hmm. which is weird for me. Yeah. Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I'm sure this is not going to be the last time we sit on a podcast together. Next time, maybe it'll be in person. Who knows? Oh, I would love that. And I hope everything continues to go well for you. And it's time for you to go cuddle some doggos. Actually, I need to work out and then get in the shower. I got to go out tonight. There's some mental images for you guys. Remember, tube of cookie dough. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to you guys later. Thank you guys once again for checking out another episode of Engaging with Envy, where we try to put a little more mental health into our interview questions to just kind of get a more humanized feel and to let people know that mental health is a thing. It's out there and everyone deals with it. Uh, extra special thanks to Charlie for taking the time to sit with me and talk about some things that some people might not normally ask. Um, He's meant a lot to me in my life. I think of him as family. Maybe you're going to sit back and go listen to some Goldfinger songs now and just enjoy. Um, But if they do, in fact, go on tour, I hope some of you all go check them out. Go buy their album. Support them in any ways you can because they're great dudes. I'm hoping to have some more podcasts for you guys soon. And if you ever have any questions, you can always find me on Twitter at Miss Envy. And if you need somebody to talk to... It's a good place to start. Thank you again, and I'll see you soon.